the Everything Sequel Podcast is brought to you by Tua T Fitness and the Vegas Beer Guys. Mike and Tom are washing their mouths out with soap because the Everything Sequel Podcast contains explicit language. Hello and welcome to the Everything Sequel Podcast. This is the Omen Edition. Today we're talking Omen 4, The Awakening. Oh boy. My name is Michael Schantz of the How Dare You Awards. Joining me, he never misses a day. His name is Tom Stewart. He's from Lonesome Whistle Productions. Say hello, Tom. First McDonald's, now pimping. Works fast. <laughs> it's amazing to me that this film's idea of hard-boiled dialogue is identical to the parody of hard-boiled dialogue in The Naked Gun. Without yeah, any irony. No. <laughs> and I, I don't I don't want to even get started on why there's even hard-boiled dialogue in this movie. Right. It's a, it's think... an omen movie and yet large swathes of this movie are from the universe of film noir. I'm pretty sure it was you that said in our ranking episode that one of these movies just becomes a detective yeah. noir at one point. There's right? a montage of a private and detective. And this is the movie. Yeah, there's a montage <laughs> of a private detective taking various free nuts from around the city <laughs> while he's on a case. <laughs> That's one of my notes where I said, Michael Lerner really likes nuts. I mean, he took those peanuts first, but then as he's walking down the street, I thought, and he's still eating nuts. And yeah. they, it's hard to see, but it looks like there's still peanuts. And I thought to myself, how many peanuts did he take? It I'm... looked like only two or three to me at the time. He took all the, the, all the peanuts. <laughs> all the peanuts in Toronto. Yep. <laughs> That was a great folk song, All the Peanuts in Toronto. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, generically, this movie's all over the place anyway. It it, it becomes a musical briefly. Uh, sometimes it's working on a kind of Looney Tunes level of cartoonery. Yes. Not to, I mean, you know, it's also a circus well, film. There's It's full of clowns. <laughs> well, and clown music. Once you get Dominic, once you get, once you get Dominic involved, Dominic you're gonna Austin get clown music, sir. Yeah. You're gonna get clown music. Do you suspect that he has an ongoing deal on clowns? I do. I think I think he's made inroads into some agency that rents clowns, and he can get them at a discount. And so when he starts on a movie, he recommends the services of those clowns, and he gets a backhander. Well, as you know, we've we've referenced this before because this is one of two movies in the Omen series that starts with one director uh-huh. and then ends with another. Now, in this one, he started the movie and then quit. If mm-hmm, memory I believe serves, so, yeah. that's correct, right? Right. So, I, but, I remember. But the, uh, may May I say the damage yes. looks like it had already been done. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that was my note, and I. <laughs> I couldn't help but notice that somewhere between halfway and three quarters of this movie, somewhere in that area, all of a sudden the clown music abruptly stops. Yeah, and you're that's not right. hearing it anymore. Yeah, and I, I, 
That's his signature, isn't it? That's how you know I it's think a, it is, an Arthur yes. Gerard original. Because I'm trying to, you know, I really, I, I can't, I, I, you know, I can't think of any of his filmography that I know beyond Halloween 5 and this. No. These it, are the only I mean, movies I know. In in American cinema, it's really these two. Okay. I think there's some, there's obviously there's European films that, that neither of us have not, nor will ever see that, yeah. um, that uh, <laughs> you could go to if you wanted to learn more about him, but uh, I'm good. Well, when you first see, t- <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm all right. <laughs> but when you first see, because they, unlike the other film, they credit both directors in this movie, and that's very uncommon when somebody that, just quits halfway through. That's a tacit admission that that uh, whoever was um, assigned the edit the, the job of editing this crap together uh, worked did, did over and above. What yeah, they right. needed to do. And that's <laughs> to like that, it. but that's my question for you because one of my notes that I took, I thought, wait a second. If he started the filming mm-hmm. and then what's the other guy's name? Montesi? Jorge Montesi, I think. Sure. He, sure. I, I <laughs> I'm very finished. impressed. I'm very impressed if that name is wrong because it's so specific. <laughs> if you invented that name. <laughs> I gotta say, you're you're an improv genius. I'm improving at the highest level. <laughs> so uh, I'm gonna say so, yes. That is the name. Okay, so if that guy if that guy comes in and finishes the job, mm. and and like you just said, the thing that I questioned was the editing process. Yeah, because that means he, that means one of two things. Were they editing as they went along? Because it had to be. It had to be Gerard that had the clown music in there. And this guy, but Montesi, the, re- just, just left it in there. But but then, you, you know, he's got deniability in the same way he had it in Halloween 5. Because he claimed that <laughs> he came that the, um, the composer, if <laughs> there is such a job on Halloween 5, I don't know, um, put, you know, added on those sound effects. Against okay. his, uh, like, against his wishes. So, so, so it's happened twice? <laughs> no, it's either, how how statistically impossible is it that that could happen twice on two different movies? It makes yeah. me think he's just not owning up to the fact that he likes clown sound effects in his films. One, uh, one American project and one Canadian project. Yeah. It's... It's not, you know, the odds are not good in his favor, are they really? Not at all. <laughs> so either, but it's funny because... either there's a conspiracy against Austin Gerard to make his movies uh, seem less realistic and more clown-like than they actually are, <laughs> right. or he's doing it and then blaming other people for doing it. I know I what also... I think about that. <laughs> I also imagine that most music is put out, put, put in it during the editing process mm-hmm. so i'd have to imagine that it was montesi that that had that job but when you see both names up on the title <laughs> like, on I, I imagine a room where they're both in the room and gerard keeps saying perhaps more clown music well but also think <laughs> think about what visually the editor has to work with sound wise he's like well there's lots of clowns on screen <laughs> that's true what am i gonna <laughs> accompany them with 
Probably well, something that goes something very akin to that. Well, I'll tell I'll tell our audience what what I just told you. I, I noticed in our ranking episode that you were speaking at one point because you had your family over for Christmas. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so we copped to that. That's when we were watching these movies, which was mm-hmm. a while ago. We're yeah, deep yeah. into February and finally recording this episode. And it had been so long, I just felt I had to rewatch this movie. It's interesting that this is the one you chose to re- rewatch. I know. I know. And, and spend... <laughs> spend our hard-earned Patreon money on. Four dollars of our Patreon money. <laughs> I'll, 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 I'll pay for it out of my own pocket. You don't deserve that. No, that's what the money's for, Mike. <laughs> it's only oh a write-off if we spend it on <laughs> we spend it on sequels. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. It counts well, as a business expense. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, if you haven't guessed already, we're talking Omen 4, The Awakening, a TV Canadian movie made in 1991. Yeah. Tom, this movie has 17% on <laughs> t- Rotten Tomatoes. I, I like, don't you need to reorder that a little bit? A TV Canadian movie? Shouldn't it be a Canadian TV movie? You're right. However... You're not, you're not wrong. I, I don't think you meant to say that. However, that's a better description... Of it than saying TV Canadian movie because you, you you really lead with the Canadian part, which is how this feels when you watch it. <laughs> right, you've uncovered a truth about this film. Well, in your I was gonna say that it, it's just a TV movie when I remembered it's also Canadian. Mm-hmm. And then I think it, it in one of our last episodes, I I was laughing towards the end because I had turned the page of my notes and I looked down to where I normally put the box office notes and I just wrote TV movie. <laughs> I'd love it. It was just an empty box. Yeah. Or, you, or that you turn the box into a TV <laughs> to remind yourself. It's a, a picture of an old television set. With a with Canadian no flag in the middle. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let me ask you this. 17% hmm. on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> I think it's better than that, but all of the but all of these um yeah, I l- listen, okay. just because I just because for some reason I you think this is a good movie and I <laughs> I don't. Doesn't mean there's not I don't like a lot of things about it. Okay. And all these rotten rotten tomato ratings of are, are nonsense, yeah. Yeah. So proportion I think if you again if you purport you know, um if it's proportional to the the forty six percent and then it's what, twenty six percent or something like that for the final conflict. Conflict? And then down to seventeen. I, I think that's I think that's right proportionally. Yeah, but the, they should all be They should all be higher. They should all be a lot higher. Yeah. Although um <laughs> I was I was... Relative to each other, it's about right, I think. Mm-hmm. There was a portion I uh, I was, you know, doing, I guess I'll call it deep background. <laughs> and I was looking up stuff on the Omen 4, mm. and I found this, this guy that had something to say about it. And oh, he was kind of taking it to task. Um. He said, it's a cheap production without any sense of style or originality. I think you'd have to be a real connoisseur of crap 
to see anything in it. I tried, but didn't come up with much. Well, we're both connoisseurs of crap. That's what I mean. <laughs> that was, uh, I, in we fact, got... I think that that was um, our second choice for a title of the podcast. Um, right. <laughs> I, I disagree. I think this film has both style and originality. Exactly. I don't think those are two of these films' problems. Right. <laughs> I, I was going to say, I'm not sure what movie he's watching. No, I, I, I wouldn't call this a bland movie at all. Yeah, right. I, I think it makes choices that, that no one has ever made. Well, here's... <laughs> Which is here's, the definition of originality. Right. Here's one thing that made me laugh. I was looking through uh, the cast. Uh-huh. And... The, the, not the title character, but Delia. Uh-huh. <laughs> there's a... On the cast, it's... Because well, how old is she about when, she, when we finally get to her? It's like 10? Yeah, I don't want to. I don't. Just I don't want to think about it too hard because I, I. It'll make your brain hurt. It's already making my brain hurt. The timeline is already. That's the thing about. It's this already so worse. It's it's already worse than I thought it was. Yeah, I even to before this movie starts. The timeline of this movie because it really cracked me up. Because there's a del- it says Delia at one and a half, two and three. Mm-hmm. So they have three separate actors to span about a year and a half. Yeah, and then we finally get well, her. They have at the they age have very strict child labor the, lo- the movie. They have very strict child labor laws in Canada. They must. Well, right. but but here but here's like they they had an opportunity here to catch up with their own timeline, mm-hmm. and instead of doing that, they jump forward in time they do another time jump yeah, so we're right. always a good 10 years ahead of where we actually are in history sure and you know i, I don't know if you want to get into this here or in in the um picture sequel episode but mm-hmm. i severely underestimated where we are in american history it, it, it's it's technically possible that when damien goes into the oval office in the final conflict he could be talking to barack obama I know, <laughs> yes. And that's... I'm making allowances for the original Omen being pre-1976, even with that. Right. So it's got to be at least Bush Jr. So it's... I'll, maybe I'll save it. I'll save yeah. it for the pitch. I'll save it for pitch. Because but... I was saying... and, and <laughs> I was saying Clinton. It's, it's two presidents down from Clinton. If he's 32. Yeah. That's, that's just time. That's just math. <laughs> Alright, anyway. let's get to it. Yeah, yeah. Um 20th Century Fox logo. <laughs> you took you took the words right out of my mouth. In complete silence. Yes. With with no fanfare. Well, it's so funny because we were talking on the Omen 2 episode about how you only got part of the fanfare because by that time they the studio had cut it down and Lucas insisted on having it put back in for Star Wars. Right. And here it's completely silent. So are they just kind of slowly whittling it down over the years until it just <laughs> appears with, with nothing? 
Yeah, I don't know. No, no audio accompaniment. I don't know. It's and this a is ve- ninety-one. <laughs> and then, of course, you get the company you've never heard of right. name that comes right off, which here is FNM Films. And the right. way that the F, N, and M are spaced on the screen looks like there are words missing. <laughs> so I would I would call this an inauspicious start to the movie. <laughs> oh, man. I also made a note that says, music does matter. Music does matter. Yeah, somewhat whimsical musical yeah. choices, I would say, for, for, for the kind of and movie And you know what's funny about this movie? It's skipping ahead, but there are only two places that I remember where you see or rather hear the original score. And both times I think to myself, well, now this is what I want. (laughs) Yeah, I know. It makes a huge difference. It It instantly elevates what's going on. Immediately. And this music to me sort of reeks of the early 90s. It sounds like a cheap knockoff of Danny Elfman's Batman Mm -hmm. score. Um, I guess that's the late 80s, really. But you, Yeah, I mean, but this is 91, so you still... Yeah, you're filming in 90, so it, yeah. it all makes sense. Yeah, it's it's the, f- the first thing on your mind and easiest to steal. Um, I mean, right from the get-go, this opening scene with the nuns... I it's mean, Athen and Gerard really knows how to butcher the most basic of scenes. <laughs> I've never seen stilted acting and dialogue like this before. Right. Oh, uh, at one point, the choreography of these two actors is so awkward that it's like an accidental version of that moment in the Blues Brothers where the nun disappears <laughs> back and the door the closes. Door. <laughs> yeah. And of course, when John Landis does it... One of my favorite it, all-time moments, by the way. He's doing it deliberately. Here, it's a complete accident. Yeah. Well... I, I, you know, this, this, this is, this is a, a, one of the weakest parts of the movie because this yeah. movie raises more questions in its opening than answers questions that we have lingering from the previous films. Except this scene purports to be answering all our questions up front, right. <laughs> yes. but all it's doing is telling us lies. Yeah, exactly. And Mother at university and the father was an exchange student. And so I heard that yeah. and I immediately crossed this baby off my list of, okay, so this is not Damien's baby. Right, it's a spinoff. And the reason why we believe it is it comes from a yeah, nun. Yeah, exactly. Who I uh, should be the able Omen to verse, trust. We expect, yeah, <laughs> especially in the Omenverse, yeah, right? right? Our religious leaders are, are literally sacrosanct. Mm-hmm. Um, and her job is also, she's an information nun, right? Yeah. She's just there to give us information. Absolutely. So she's not doing either of her jobs mm-hmm. in the, in the screenplay and this, you know, and then until eight minutes before the end of this film, we still believe that what this nun says is, is true. Is the truth. Right. Eight minutes before the end, <laughs> and this lie is our truth. Continues. Is our truth. Yes. And then on top of that, uh, I can't figure out, is it really ever explained to us if, because shouldn't, as far as the nuns know, shouldn't this be true? If this exchange student and mother come mm. with this child and say, this is our child we don't want, please help us. 
why would they know the real background? Well, they're they're making that up because, I, well, yeah, I I mean, presume we've got to assume that they were making it up because they they wanted to get this baby off their hands. So that's the thing, though. I mean, they give up the baby to the parents. The nun the nun goes through this moment where in in which she seems immediately relieved to get rid of the baby, then very upset yeah. and crying over it, and then she gets into a huge fight with Mother Nun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's you know you're in a schlocky movie when there's nun slapping that early <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> into the film, right? Nun slapping is what you save for your uh, your coup de grace. That's an no, album title. Not, nun slapping. You don't put you don't put that up front. <laughs> nun slapping I mean, is a great album title. As soon as that nun gets slapped, it's like. The elevated horror part of this franchise is over. Right. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I, it, it. It's it's work. It's working at. It's it's working at cross purposes because it's, it's telling us something, that is a lie, as if it is, unambiguously the truth, and yet, people, <laughs> people are reacting. Like people character-wise, as if it's a lie, mm-hmm. but that makes no sense to us because, as far as we know, this is the truth. Right. As far as we know, <laughs> this is not a sequel to the Omen. This is a spin-off. This is a reboot. That's what we're being told. Yes. And why would we disbelieve it, especially from a nun? Right. And yet, that nun is acting weird yes. for someone who's just passing off the baby of a university student. Yeah. So I guess that's supposed to be. Uh you know where the doubt is and wh- why we question it but it doesn't work i mean again it is it, it is so incompetently done everything in this scene everything. is incompetently <laughs> everything. done and i got to say that that when the parents uh, the the adoptive parents are introduced mm-hmm. if you asked an ai application <laughs> to create a canadian made for television version of Damien's parents from The Omen. <laughs> this is exactly what they would come up with. Yeah. I imagine that shot of mom and dad coming up the stairs. It felt like the first shot of the movie to me. Like the, the first day of filming. <laughs> it felt like everybody didn't know if each other. If you're going to judge it every was... scene by that criteria, yeah. this the filming lasted exactly one day. <laughs> <laughs> in a movie full of awkward moments it felt like the most awkward in oh this whole thing is awkward they, they i literally think that othan gerard doesn't know how to shoot in a small space yeah right like a small indoor space like he can't get his head around mm-hmm. it and that's why we get the weird door closing moment yeah sure it's like this is really basic. It's just like this is really basic stuff, you know. I'm remembering. Uh, I'm remembering Doctor Loomis putting a big chain net on Michael Myers and <laughs> the awkwardness of yeah. that shot as well. Yeah, quite. Um, you know, the first thing so, I do every every time I adopt a baby, I throw a party. I have a dinner party. I have a throw. I throw a little party. <laughs> Well, this is where this is where I was optimistic that 
that the timeline was starting to catch up with himself because these were like early nineties people yes, and styles. Right. And I was like, I was like, Oh great. They've like found a way to make this skewed timeline work. Everybody's then, wearing then... the big suits of Gary Shandling. <laughs> <laughs> there's a bit, there's some high top fades yeah. in there. Yeah. Um, but of course, you know, within minutes, they they have a like a coming of age montage, and so everything that it took three movies to do happens in under a minute. <laughs> exactly. Um, I made a but, I made but, a note of that as well. I thought it was very funny. We've we've talked at length about the deliberateness of the other sequels and the time jumping yeah. and having the the characters age a certain amount in this movie just said yeah. we're gonna show it all in two and a half minutes and that baby will grow 10 years but the, you know before that the, the scene of the priest dying of the heart attack I thought was quite effective in its overlit 90s way sure but I also made because it's got the original music it it, it it feels a bit more legitimate but the problem is is that that scene is immediately followed by the time lapse yeah and so I made a note of saying, are we ever going to hear about this priest dying again? And of course it comes <laughs> towards the last 20 minutes of the movie. Yeah, I know. You know, with, well, with mom I mean, saying, and this this priest, this priest had an accident right after the baptism. I mean, talk about when we, when we get there, we'll have to talk about, because I don't think there's a, I don't think there's a, there's a more egregious example of, trying to do too much in too little time yes, narratively right. than the end of this film. Or the beginning um, of it. Or the middle. <laughs> no, particularly the end. This movie has some time problems, though, Tom. That's, and, that's, and, well, and, and, you know, you know it's the, the most egregious towards the end and here at the beginning, but it's throughout. And also, at the same time, it, this, this movie is weighed down by having to be a remake of the original Omen, which at this point... yeah. Right. That's all we know it to be yes. because there's no there's no connection there's no serial connection to the original three films at this point mm -hmm. that we know of. Um, We're just going through the same know... kind of machinations that we went through in the original. Yeah, film. the political ambitions of the father. Right. You know, we see him rising through the ranks. I mean, that's all covered in the original Omen. Um, and once we've kind of... It, it, it's interesting. It's almost like Athen and Gerard is like, I'll do one Omen thing, and then I'll do something that's just for myself. Because this is where... Yeah, right. Just after this, <laughs> yes. we have our first clown. Yes. Um, It's a, like a kid's party, I think. Correct. There's like a but, grotesque... But this was like such a, a, a... grotesque clown. This was such a, an Athen and Gerard... Yeah, not like a happy clown. Well, it was such a moment from him, because... That clown happens to look right down the barrel of the camera. Yeah. And that seems yeah. to be a very him thing. That's a Gerard. That's an Athen and Gerard thing. In fact, there's no more Athen and Gerard uh, shot than a clown looking into the camera. <laughs> so, I mean, right tells you everything you need to know about his, his directorial style yes. in, one, in one screen grab. Yeah. And also, I, I mean, I think we talked when we did Halloween 5 about how abusive he was towards J Jamie Lloyd. Correct, yeah. And here I get the same sense that he has no understanding of how children should be treated either on film or in the world. Yeah. Um so 
So there's that. Good to, <laughs> so good to see that he's he's stuck with that perspective. <laughs> what um, uh, Halloween Five is and the pet well. Yeah, the parents live live on the road, live down the road from uh, Pet Cemetery. Of course, and uh, <laughs> they live on that road. You know, the road from Pet Cemetery with all the trucks coming. We're by. All, it's, um, now, I have that note where it seems like a just stolen wholesale from that movie. Except, we, I, yeah. I also thought, is he trying to tell us that Delia is just stupid? Because. Mm. She could oh, see. Oh, he hates Delia. She could. She could see for miles where that truck is, and she just keeps walking towards the middle of the street. He never misses a I chance to that. underline could Delia. You try again? My watch. <laughs> My watch doesn't know what. Is I'm your talking. watch giving a shit again? <laughs> yep. <laughs> My watch is thoroughly. Did you tell us to try again. It's thoroughly confused by Omen for the Awakening. I guess we've got to redo this episode because your watch is not happy with with our work. And and, and this yeah, I mean that's the 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 first of many. We talked about this when we did Poltergeist two, I think, or maybe even Poltergeist three three as well. Mm-hmm. That when that when a franchise has run out of ideas, it seems to just steal whole a horror movie runs out of ideas. It just steals right. wholesale from Stephen King. Yes, right. And this movie is is it's got it's got even mentions Ma- Carrie mentions by Carrie name, by name. Point. I I yeah right. Carrie Pet Cemetery. There's a um. What do you call it? The wind through the hair. What's that film? Uh, with the wind through uh, the hair. Drew Barrymore. Oh, Firestarter. Firestarter. Yeah, there's one of those moments, and it's just so interesting that. Yeah, it's, it's a like, weird moment. You, if, I mean, we'll get there. But... If you're kind of like lazy, if if, if you've got very lazy, yeah, right. I guess the first thing that comes to mind is something you saw in the Stephen King film, and you just put that in. Don't worry, though. I'm going to put clown music. It's going to be good. Um, and again, you know, not well. I, we've gone back to the well or the while, if you like, of the Rottweiler. Yeah, but that also. The... You know, this kind of that that whole thing leads to me <laughs> to question Ben and Gerard because it appears as though that dog has an owner. <laughs> and the next thing you know, well, I mean, they've all, just all taken I could think about was all I could think about was how that that Rottweiler was unfairly maligned for an act of dog heroism. Yeah, right. Um, and. But at least our heroes so, weren't the one maligning it. It was some drifter guy I, I, I'm not, who I'm not I thought sure the dog is... belonged to. But yeah, and I'm not. I'm not sure where this is in the growing up montage. But I uh, next I have her being bullied. Uh huh. And how badly that's all handled. Very very unusual. And I, I was like, I'm not sure whether to blame the kid actor for not laughing well enough, or the, for the directors for failing to capture it. And again, no, I'm maybe gonna blame the, the director. <laughs> well, I'm gonna blame the director. Of, just maybe he was incapable of joy because he was working with a then in Gerard, <laughs> and he was a child. Um, but also just like the, this kind of anti-female undertone of the way that they they represent Delia, mm-hmm. Delilah, Delia, Delia. Okay. Um, you just watched it. That's true. <laughs> I haven't. I haven't seen it for three months. Um, <laughs> uh, because basically, what I see is that, like, 
and I don't know, maybe maybe it's there's some satire in here, so maybe there's a comment in there, but but what she actually does in response to that bully is just very proportional to what he did to her. Yeah, right. And so it seems like a real double standard that she's being blamed for it. And and that's true. That's what happens. You know, women, like young females or girls, mm-hmm. women, they get they get more of the blame for doing for doing less of the of the thing that's just how it works sure. in in our ter- terrible society yes right but i don't think that's what the point i think it's just about undermining her at every turn no i agree because this this kind of keeps happening throughout the film and every time she sort of reacts proportionally to something well, she does... she's told by her parents that she's overstepped her bounds. Right. And to me, that's just because she's a she's a female, not b- because she actually has done those things. She acts proportionally the first time, but she's the instigator the second time. Mm-hmm. When she climbs up on the ladder. Do you really feel sorry for this kid, though? Oh, no, not at all. And I think that's the that's like at some point we should see like a again basic drama right we should see a turn yeah right where he becomes the person we feel sorry for, um and that she's the and she feels like the instigator but it never makes that turn right, and and you know part of that is again it just comes down to the director, because the oh, yes. the scene that precedes it in which he's bullying her. He yeah. bullies her to such an effect that you think anything he gets at that point from her is justified. Right. And then on top of that, he's got an asshole father who's complaining to the parents and talking about suing and doing this and doing that. Mm. So he looks like a maniac as well Yeah. when it's his son that was being the piece of shit to begin with. And so you're never going to be on their side. It's not a... It, like. Especially for the early 90s, it's not a great message to young women, is it? No, like, yeah, right. Never stand up for yourself. Uh, <laughs> <I> <laughs> never, mean, that's, ever, that's how ever. I took it. And then they're, they're immediately into how she's, you know, she's menstruating at eight, and that's unholy and disgusting. And I'm just like, come on. Mm-hmm. Can we not demonize, like, feminine cycles like this? It's 1991. We should be, you know normalizing it not making it seem well and the like thing that's weird about it is it's unnatural it's the doctor do. it's the doctor that says listen it's it's uncommon but it, it can happen but it's the mom that's going ew what yeah i know yeah so that's the part that makes it kind of makes it feel more insidious than it ever you know actually is of course Absolutely. Well, and I think she's I think she's right about uh new age culture being a pile of stupid junk as well. So that doesn't help. Yes, I'm exactly. on her side there. This movie this movie really She's talking she's talking reason. Yeah, this movie really goes to the goes is on the side of the crystals in a way that I don't think the rest of the world is. But I guess let's come back and talk about yeah, it. Like, on, on the crystals and menstruating yeah. note, let's take a break. <laughs> I remember that Janine Garofalo special, <laughs> menstruating in crystals. It's like an early HBO stand-up yeah, special. Yeah, that's the mid '90s. All right, we're gonna take a break, and we'll be right back. <laughs> Ready. 
Does the coronavirus have you feeling oogie? Have you been sitting on your couch for weeks? Nay, have you been sitting on there for months? Well, it's time for you to get back in shape. Check out To A T Fitness. You can find them on Instagram. You can find them on Facebook. To A T Fitness was started by Tina Bernard. She is ready and raring to go to help you get back into the shape you want to get into. They've got all kinds of classes. They've got outdoor in-person classes. They've got online classes if that's what you prefer. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to get back in shape. You're going to find a variety of exercises. You're going to have strength training, cardio, weightlifting, even fun five-minute burnouts that will push you to your limits. So get off the couch, get into shape. Go ahead and check out Tua T Fitness. Tina Bernard has got you for all your needs. I know her personally. She's fantastic. You're not going to meet a better person to help you become the new you. Check it out. And we're back, ladies and gentlemen. Tom and I are here discussing the last movie in the series so far, <laughs> Omen for the Awakening. Tom, we might have to revisit this series because it's, oh no. I just heard there might be a prequel coming. <laughs> oh my God. Well, there's yeah. been a reboot as well, so there's, True. A, there's, a defi- there's at least a couple of Patreon episodes in our future. Oh yeah, for sure. Um... But uh, a prequel? Yeah, only I just heard about it. Is it about Damien? Is it about the sperm that made (laughs) Damien? How do you do a prequel to The Omen? I'm not sure. Yeah. I haven't looked. I haven't investigated further yet. I don't think they've thought it through. Because I've got crystals to talk about. Oh, my God. (laughs) Talk about a time capsule. Wow. I have this, no, there's this great moment. So, you know, essentially all this nonsense happens. Now they have a dog. I wrote the first act is 17 minutes and boy, is it jam packed. It's just, yeah, that kid grows 10 years. There's, you know, four people that have died. By the way, when the bully's dad dies, yes. uh, I, I, he seems to be driving that car at about 15 miles per hour. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure that's fast enough to decapitate a no. man. There's no, nothing that the film telling you that happened is on screen. Yeah. Later on, we have a, we're told that there's a snow blizzard and there's no physical evidence of it where anyone goes. (laughs) But for some reason, I have to tell you, because you know that I, inexplicably, I called this a good movie. Yeah, and I feel like we have to talk about that at some point as well. I think I think I really, really delight in a lot of this movie's missteps. Yeah, well, I, I enjoy I, the missteps of this movie approach. more than the missteps of other movies, more <laughs> than I I have in a long time. Because there's just so yeah. much nonsense in this movie. There and really is. Yeah, the, this whole you know beeline of a story that lasts for about fifteen <laughs> minutes before they decide to kill off this portion of the story uh with the crystals mm-hmm. fascinates me i mean we talked about it you know we were kind of alluding to it earlier already but i don't think the you know movie theater or television watching public is is as as in tune with crystals as this movie yeah. seems to think we all will be and yet there's something intru- interesting at the core of this mm-hmm. because 
now it, it kind of changes the the conf what the confrontation is right it now it it's not the devil versus christ it's religion versus new age spiritualism yeah right which i think is interesting i don't know why there's so many clowns at this psychic fair <laughs> we're told it's a psychic fair why are the clowns there um and you know i i, I also made I a note that it's nice to see that the psychics still want hamburgers yeah <laughs> and also and and here's the, another weird kind of contradiction which again i'm not sure they've thought through is that delia or dahlia or delilah whatever the fuck she's called <laughs> uh seems to be really into science so she's like and then that so that's like science versus right. faith essentially because yeah. because you know the the new age the crystals and new age spiritualism is based on is a kind of faith in sure. in something that's non-scientific and, and it's not the last bit science, of faith but she also get. represents the devil mm -hmm. and she represents religion versus like uh you know non-denominational spiritualism so there's a lot on delia's shoulders right. conceptually here that's right and i don't think they've completely thought all this through well clearly not at the end it's not even that she's the antichrist it's that she's going to be the new maid right she's yes. the new watcher but we'll get there yeah, which is another sort of last minute. That's a last minute handicapping of, of the character. It really, know? yeah, they do it all the way through the movie. Yeah. You know, <laughs> um, I, you know, we'll talk about that later on when she deals with the Jehovah's Witnesses. Yeah, and does absolutely nothing wrong <laughs> <laughs> in how she treats them. Um, I mean, this is sort of like I, I get the sense that the the limits of their thought about this is like. Uh, okay, this kind of stuff is going on, right? These kind of psychic fairs are a thing. Mm -hmm. We've seen them like come to town. Can we do omen things with this set piece? And they go, well, will there be, a, you know, that often I see a guy juggling fire. Great, we need to set someone on fire because it's an omen movie. Right. So let's get, let's make right. it the guy who's, you know, who's uh, juggling the flame. But the these flame, are the moments uh, in which... You know, in the first movie, I think I think we talked about this maybe in the ranking episode in which, you know, it's the priest that gets the spire mm. comes down and yeah and impales oh, him. And we get the we get the beheading and, you know, we, we get the sense that e it's kind of like Final Destination. It's sort of like evil is is moving against you and you yeah. can't escape it. You know, it's that sort of idea. But mm -hmm. in this movie. It's that fucking fire juggler. I just thought that guy's got to go to prison. Like and again, it's like it's someone from the circus community. Yeah, like, <laughs> they're the stars of the show now. Yes, Authentic <laughs> Gerard has turned this into a literal circus. Yeah, but it didn't. It didn't feel. It didn't feel like the child was in charge of all of this. No. She was just in charge of bad feelings amongst the fair people. And right. then and they started the fire on their own. Well, that's it. When a guy is juggling fire, you you can't really blame anyone but him if he sets on fire. Yeah, right. He's really asking for it. He dropped know? it, and a man near him <laughs> caught on fire. There's no there's no supernatural intervention there. It's just bad safety practice. <laughs> <laughs> that's all it is. I also thought yeah. it was an odd choice 
to have the child walking away with the babysitter, not with the crystal lady. But the crystal yeah. lady's not even looking back at the crime. She's just like, do 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 do. Let's get out of here. Is it was like she was committing the, the crime with her. I think um, when the crystal. So this is oh. what I think happens. The okay, crystals go. all turn black, right? Yeah, this is my favorite moment because so Delia. We see that they. We see that they've turned Ordelia, black. Delia or whoever the yeah. fuck she is. She grabs the crystal on her neck, and then about seven minutes later. She looks at her own crystal and says, and she goes, mm, yeah. and she runs upstairs and she pulls open a drawer and we see inside the drawer and they're all black. Luckily, though, we have the character say they're all black. They're all black. The stupidest <laughs> example of stupid people ADR ever captured. Well, yes. I, I put here in my notes, I put on film, I guess, on television. <laughs> yes, I, I wrote down. Uh, There's no ambiguity here. I I said, I wrote down, the crystals are all black, and I know because the actor told me so. Yeah. And not only that, all the ADR in this movie is very identifiably ADR. Yeah, right. So if that's another way that you judge your, you know, if that's another criteria judging the movie by, we're in trouble. I find all the ineptitude of this movie so quaint, though. But don't you think, I mean, there's no intentionality behind stuff that they do that would be comedy in another movie. Right. Like that, the, the scene, um, I think following on, the, oh, they, they go, don't they go out of town and they go to, there's like a gas stop or something with a hick who's like playing a gourd on his stomach? What? Do you remember that moment? No. This might still be at the psychic fair, fair but he's kind oh, okay. of using using a gourd on his stomach as some kind of like percussion instrument. And it's like something that would be an airplane except that it's played <laughs> entirely it's straight in this no intentionality. Yeah. It's um, not the the blind guy? I think so. Okay. I mean, this you know, speaking of, you know, t- a, a someone who is a big celebrity for this film uh, mm-hmm. lifeguard from Wise Guy, who is the Native American guide. <laughs> yeah. Um. Do you know Wise Guy? Do you know, you know the show? Yeah. About? Yeah. And uh, you know, lifeguard was the was the guy. He was in a wheelchair, and he was the guy who was in charge of all the fake communications to maintain right, uh, right, 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 cover right. story. It was. I he just was remember the, he Ken was, Wall. Ken, well, he was the middleman between Ken Wall and Jonathan Banks. God, that was a good show. Um, <laughs> in, it invented serial drama on TV. I'm not joking. All right, they, settle down. We didn't do these long story arcs before Wise Guy. Okay. Uh, however, this is not this is not Wise Guy, but Lifeguard is in this. And I was just and like now you know I know it's a Canadian made for TV movie. I'm like, yeah, that's a big uh, that's a it's that's a big, a big hire. Well, yeah. the Faye Grant. I mean, she's not the most known of actors, but I remember her from uh, Internal Affairs. Oh, okay. And... I, I remember her for not being Julianne Moore in films. <laughs> yeah, yes. She's as naked as Julianne Moore is, she is in everything and, uh, and in Internal Affairs. Yeah. And the reason I know was because the that director, whoever, uh, who was it, Figgis? Figs? Yes, Figus, absolutely. Uh, he he insisted on showing those nipples. <laughs> right, just 
Just maybe, maybe her and Julianne Moore have a kind of naked off contest going yeah. on. Yeah. Because uh, Robert Altman, I think, trumped that with the. That's with true. The uh, the waist down nudity of shortcuts. Yeah. Um. Speaking of other other early nineties movies. This is playing like the hand that rocks the cradle in reverse. Where the babysitter is oh. the babysitter's being set up by the kid. Yes. <laughs> and it's pretty much the same year, isn't it like a yeah, year that's... later or something that Hand the Rocks the Cradle? It comes might out? be ninety one. I'd have to look it, it might up. Be, yeah. I, I wanna say ninety one. But so certainly this kind of storyline is is in the air. <laughs> So can we um, talk about her death, though? Sure. I mean, I, I love everything about it. <laughs> really? Well, what? I mean, it's isn't it feel a bit derivative? Of, Ninety-two. Especially because the the rat, Rottweiler is involved. Yeah. Okay. Like it, it doesn't but, feel like they've done much to try and differentiate it from what happens in the Omen, but no. But I well, <laughs> I've told you I like all the ineptitude of this movie. I like the inexplicable. Uh, two and a half seconds of slow motion going up the stairs, followed by immediate regular motion. Well, that's that's going where up, I'm out, as you know. Going up the rest of the stairs. <laughs> there seems to be some sort of wind blowing within the halls of yeah, the Yeah, it's the wind the from Firestarter, as we previously yes. discussed. <laughs> and, and then there's, well, it, my favorite part doesn't come until later. So... Yes, so so the dog jumps up on the babysitter or on the crystal lady, and she falls out the window, and she falls on the merry-go-round. Yeah. They can't show us that, so they have to show her fall behind the bushes. Is that because it was on TV? Most likely. There there are some things in this movie where I thought we could have better horror horror film moments if it wasn't a made-for-TV movie. Interesting. Uh, the big I guess you've got to take that into account, right? I yeah. mean, if you can't, you can't. But of course, Mom, Karen York, she she just faints right next to the mm. merry-go-round as well. This is where I really noticed the uh, the dad's early '90s hair, mm-hmm. which is kind of not quite a mullet. But it's also not given up on the idea of a mullet. <laughs> it's right in this no man's land in between. Right. It's not not a mullet, is what I'm saying. <laughs> but you wouldn't call it a mullet. <laughs> but, and the, the, you know, this is the part of the movie I respond to most. Because, you know, I, I buy into the fact that the father's the one who's skeptical of the satanic behavior. and In the first movie. And the mother, belie- and the mother believing it. I like I like that it that that switcheroo mm-hmm. that inversion works dramatically very well for the movie because it's as I think we said in the ranking episode it's closer to the reality of family life, right? But it's also it feels like a convenience of the script because may I just remind you you called this a good film so when you disagree with me about the things that I like with the film it makes it sound like you like it less than me so I really don't understand I really don't understand why I doesn't, it doesn't matter if I don't if there's things I point out that are wrong with it because I'm on board for all of it that's true that's true I love how much how clueless the father how... is throughout this entire movie. 
this How kid has killed be, 75 but... people. And he goes, she's just rambunctious. She's just being a kid, being but, a kid. But the dramatic, like the, the core of that is truthful. Unlike most of this movie. Sure. So that's why I think it's, it's more, it, it's more effective than everything else, which is based on you know, very shaky foundation. Tenuous. This, yes. This foundation is really good. It's actually, if anything, stronger than than the original movie. Look at you. <laughs> yeah, but it's the exception, <laughs> not the rule. Clearly, although I gotta say, like you know, the scene with the, where she, where uh, not Julianne Moore goes to the uh, priest. The conversation they have here is pretty interesting. Uh, that I have the same note. But wait, I'm not there. I don't think I'm there quite there okay. yet because the. There's one portion, so, you know, after the... Let's the talk cr- about a nanny being thrown out of the window. Yeah, after <laughs> after the crystal lady gets thrown out the window and dies, there's this moment where it, it feels like it's two days later and mom uh-huh. is walking out with her daughter and Delilah just... or De- What are we going to call her? I don't give a shit. I, you just saw it, don't you? What did they call her in the film? <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> okay, let's say Delia. Delia. Delia has gone. Delia's walking past the merry-go-round and she lays down on it in the exact same fashion that the crystal lady dies. And mm-hmm. I have this note that says, <laughs> you know what? I'm on my side. At this point, I would say, fuck that bitch. <laughs> I'm going to do everything I can to kill this one. No, she's yeah. a monster. And that's, but the, but again, there's an emotional truth there. Yeah. That kind of strained mother-daughter relationship. There's there's a there's a there's a competitiveness there, and the you know. Oh, we also I, left out the, the spitting. movie should have the movie should have put more into it where the dad is sort of going, oh, you know how mothers and daughters are. There's always this right. Like that would have, that would have really saved it. There's but as moment... it is, like dramatically, the bones of it work. Yeah. There's me. a moment later. In which uh, there's a good moment between husband and wife a little bit later in the movie that I like a lot that I wish mm. was more at the core of yeah of the movie itself because that before she starts like stabbing go- doctors with exacto knives and yeah things. <laughs> yeah going on her own detective work um, but yes the the scene with the priest like what they're talking about essentially is the liberalization of the church. Yeah, it's really interesting conversation. Multi-faith culture. Yeah. And he's basically saying, like, you know, this is... They're, they're paving the way for the devil to to come in. Mm-hmm. Like, it's it's already happened. Like, faith is... The faith the, the system of faith is broken well, down. Well, I, I think one of the things we like about it is even though they're talking about faith, it feels as though we're we're talking about the aftermath of Ronald Reagan's America to me so well we are even so, though we're in <laughs> yeah we're we're post above we're Biden's America by this point <laughs> right we've gone past so maybe they're talking post Trump maybe that's they what might be. they're they might really be. getting to yeah. the heart of and then this is the great scene with the Jehovah's Witnesses which I think should be a training video for people uh, PSA to how to handle Jehovah's Witnesses <laughs> Delia's response is they were they were they were perfectly nice though Tom they weren't yeah they, but they yeah, were but just I, handing over the literature they were they were they weren't going nuts but but her excuses they to her mother proselytizing like they normally would she said she said they were threatening to burn her she ain't wrong 
You read, you read that literature they're putting into her hand. It's gonna have something about how you're gonna burn. <laughs> She's not wrong. And then this is another, another sort of uh, un- like unannounced time jump in this movie, which yeah, we do a right. lot of, where suddenly the mother is eight, where Car- uh, Karen is eight months pregnant. Yes. Uh. So. It's, and it's really funny, like, time in this film is totally different from how it is in other Omen films. Mm-hmm. We focus on a short period, and then between movies we have a large passage of time. Here we have large passages of time between right. scenes. Followed by movie. a few scenes. Yes. <laughs> and this is where we get into our... Uh, noir. Uh, to, our, to the film noir portion. <laughs> <laughs> Whose idea was this? I don't care. I just want to congratulate them. And the, <laughs> what for hire for for literally like grabbing Michael Lerner off the set of Barton Fink. Yes. And saying, you know what? Just do it exactly the same. <laughs> <laughs> don't even change the voice, the clothes, the mannerisms. Do it all the same. We can was, have it done before lunch. <laughs> I was thinking I was thinking more of Harlem Nights. I was like, sure, play, that, I, play that guy, but just you're not in charge. You're you're just <laughs> you're you're not the gangster. You're you're just the gumshoe. This is probably the only point in the movie where I agree with that reviewer that you quoted. Most movies manage to make computer screens look exciting. This makes it look like it really does look <laughs> like like how it looks in real life. Yes. And, you know, t- plus, you know, they haven't figured out how to put a computer on screen without it triggering epilepsy. in Because the- <laughs> <laughs> there's something going on on that screen, which is going to polish off several members of the audience if they suffer from epilepsy. Agreed. I also couldn't figure out, does this detective bring his cat everywhere or does he just find cats everywhere he goes? They're just like they're just clutching at noir straws, aren't they? Uh, he's grabbing nuts. He brings his cat. Right. He speaks with snappy dialogue. Always at all times. Yeah. And this then, movie seems I, I don't... to. This movie. I have a note here that says this movie seems to forget a bunch of its own shit. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? As you're as we're. Going... What are your examples? Well, a lot of it has to do with the time jump shit. <laughs> Yeah. I I just I find it interesting that we jump those nine months mm-hmm. of mom being pregnant, which is fertile ground for a lot of dramatic shit to happen. That this I, movie I suppose... just decides to skip over. But is that the movie tipping its hand that she's sort of that basically the baby is the is the new Damien, not her? Did you have that sense while you were watching it, though? No, of course not. Nah, I mean, no. I, you know, I mean, certainly not the first time I saw this. I kind of, I mean, I, I, watching it this time, I obviously knew at some point that we're going to cover the fact that it was Damien's child, mm-hmm. uh, and I knew it was going to be late in the movie, but not quite as late as it was, right? In real time. But then it's funny because... Um, but yeah, nothing sets... I mean, nothing sets you up for that, but maybe maybe they would just think, you know, it's like, it's off limits because the then then why wouldn't she kill her unborn brother? Right. Yeah, right. Well, and that's the thing that's confusing about the movie because we keep being told that she was going to want to kill the brother. Right, right. 
But but she narratively she can't. So exactly. And that's it. That's the, well, that's the, as far as we got in the writing process. So you know, I was just speaking about you know shit that this movie forgets, and and I guess part of it is what I was talking about earlier because okay. Uh, Crystal Lady dies, then we find out that uh-huh. Mom's pregnant, and then we get mm-hmm. into our noir. But, but, yes. But between Mom's pregnant and the noir, we've got about 12 minutes worth of film. And in uh-huh. those 12 minutes, we have a couple of scenes in which I think you could have had the whole movie based on because Mom and Dad have that moment in the cemetery. Mm-hmm. Where they're having a legitimate a legitimate argument about who their daughter is and the nature of their daughter, yeah, and they're kind of going back and forth. And if that was drawn out in a more dramatic way, in which you could mm-hmm. see father being kind of pulled apart from from wife and going with yeah. daughter, and mother being pulled apart and maybe going towards her now unborn son. Yeah, which will dramatically shift in a moment, but but then also once the baby's born, or is it right before they're born? There's this moment where Dad picks up Delia and is holding her. Mm. See, did you see that pause? I didn't know what to call her, but he picks her yeah. up, and she's she's got her head on her on his shoulder, and she looks at Mom, and they're both yeah. looking at each other and like kind of sizing each other yeah, up. Yeah, it's good. And I remember thinking, I'd like more of that, please. Can we have yeah. more of that? And this movie yeah. just seems to forget to to go down those roads. It's yeah. just little. I think that's accurate. Yeah, side piece accurate. moments. There uh, is. It could be even more... better than it already is, Tom. <laughs> I think. I think from the outside, people might think that the problem with this movie is that it's a worn out premise. Mm-hmm. And that's actually not the problem with this no, movie. No, yeah, there's, not at all. There's 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 a lot here to work with. They Absolutely. just don't often wo- they don't work with it in the right way. Um, but that runs counter to your expectations that there's nothing left in the tank. Yeah, it really right. is. They found a really good wrinkle, a really good inversion of how it could play in a different way, but they're just not they're not doing the work to make it to make it shine on screen. Yeah. In the same way. But there's glimpses of it. And that's a great glimpse of it. I see I see a lot of that in this portion of the film. Mm-hmm. Um But uh then yeah, that's it. We, we then we go into a detective film for a little bit. Well, should we take um, a break? Let's take a break and then we'll come back and okay. finish the third act of this movie. Well, let, which let is me t- let me talk an about an entirely pos- different movie. Before we go before we go into into the break. Yes. I want to ask you a question about something that happens that I think might have been a lead into a commercial break. So it's perfect to talk about now. Okay. As we are doing that. <laughs> um, did you notice this weird fade to black when the scene didn't need to change? It's in the middle of the detective noir montage. Hmm. Um, and I mean... Do you remember? It's difficult to see what, like, what version of of the TV movie we were watching. Like, yeah, was this a lead into a commercial break? Because that was, was one simply, of my notes. Where is it know, like a David Chase Sopranos ending kind uh-huh. of? 
artistic choice. Like I don't know. What, I, what? You know, when I think of uh, the whatever the the famous TV movies that I still remember, say like a Salem's Lot or mm, or yeah. uh, it. You know, you can no. see a TV break coming a mile away. That was one of my notes for this movie. You don't you yeah. don't see lots of natural breaks. It still feels very cinematic to me. Huh. Maybe it was on Canadian public television. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I also thought the alternative is that, you know, they didn't the scene had to fade to black cuz something happened after that that they couldn't edit around. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> And that's also entirely possible. Michael Lerner probably choked on a peanut. <laughs> I'm going to choke on my own laughter. <laughs> Can you imagine if Michael Lerner died from choking on a peanut on the set of Omen for The Awakening? How How could they work that into the eulogy? I don't... That'd be the funniest gravestone I've ever seen. <laughs> beloved, beloved father, beloved actor, and hardest father passed away while choking on a peanut while on working the set on of Omen, Omen for the Awakening. The Awakening. Oh, that's good stuff. That is. All right. <laughs> on that silly note, let's take a break. Yes. We'll come back and finish up. With this After gloriously bad movie. So maybe it's so bad it's good. No. It's just bad. I think it's really good. Yeah. I loved I, I was really worried about watching this movie a second time. You you should have been. <laughs> I was I was kinda sweating bullets. And I I remember about halfway through I thought, No, I'm enjoying it just as much this time as yeah. I did the first time. You're you're off the mark, but you're not wrong. All right. We'll be right back. I like to think I know something about beer. But nowadays, even I get overwhelmed when confronted by the exhaustive selection of craft beers they have at bars, breweries, and even grocery stores. Back in the day, you had one, maybe two craft beers to choose from, and if you were confused, you ordered a Guinness. But in beer stations like San Diego, the craft beer options lately are in double, sometimes even triple, digits. So what's a beer drinker to do? You need what I need. The Vegas Beer Guys. Your beer of choice should be a perfect blend of malt and hops. And so a live show about beer needs that same balance. And the Vegas Beer Guys matches beer expert Dan Aker with self-proclaimed beer novice Stephen J. Weiss. The results are eminently drinkable. They're on Facebook. They're on Instagram. They'll try new beers. They'll tell you about beers. Think of them as your beer sherpas guiding you up a foamy-headed mountain to reach the peak of your pint. God, I need a beer. And we're back once again, ladies and gentlemen. Tom and I are here finishing up with Omen 4. The Awakening. Mm-hmm. Are you awake? Um, barely. <laughs> <laughs> Do 
By the way, you like to harp on titles. Mm. What is this The Awakening of? No idea. Okay. Uh, yeah, nothing... nothing A new evil dawn? Nothing is awoken. <laughs> I don't... I mean, you. I don't want to get into a whole... Speaking of me harping on things, I don't want to get into a whole J.J. Abrams thing, but... Any kind of awakening <laughs> as part of your you titles. Just not... Yeah. Unless something is specifically waking. I suppose R2-D2 wakes up in that film. I'm still not sure why. <laughs> it was time. Yeah. No no one was asleep, right? There was The script told him. Yeah. The script told him it was time to turn on. <laughs> All right. So I now don't we hate had... it. Okay. No, me. Either. I don't understand it, but I don't hate it, which is also my feeling about the film itself. <laughs> <laughs> you definitely don't hate it. No, I don't. I mean, I I should, I should more than I do. I understand. I, I just I don't know. There's something about this movie that just makes me smile. It is. It is unique. I think a lot of it might have to do with Michael Lerner. Just having Michael Lerner in your movie. Eating peanuts. Yeah. There's, There's a it's moment. Kind of, I'm, it's well, interesting because, it. well, it feels like the only other thing I'll say about the Michael Lerner part of this movie is that it feels like. It feels like a callback to the original Omen, but there's no detective in the original Omen. I mean, they're, right. they're investigative journalists, mm-hmm. but no, like, no, yeah, sham- this movie- no, no, like, shamasis. Yeah, this, this movie's thinking of The Exorcist. That movie has a cop. That's true. And and this movie, you know, it likes to, it's, it's aligning itself to other horror cycles, like Psycho, Carrie, mm-hmm. um... Anything that Stephen King wrote. Right. Uh, the Exorcist. Well, um, and the original movie, I mean, the original movie is, I think, thought of as a trio of movies, starting with Rosemary's Baby and then The Exorcist and then The Omen. Hmm. Yeah. They're kind of coupled to get, you know, linked together as a... A phenomenon. Yeah. And we encountered this problem with Halloween 5 as well. Arthur and Gerard made a big deal of of the specificity of Halloween as a, as a horror franchise. And mm-hmm. yet the movie he made was more like Friday the 13th or Nightmare on yeah, the Street right. than any previous Halloween film. So there's a, there's a, what Arthur and Gerard understands to be originality is usually the opposite of that. Right. <laughs> and yet what he, when he's just kind of playing around, he does things that no one's ever thought of putting sure. in a film for good reason. Well, one of the things I really love is that when the detective noir portion of this movie Mm -hmm. starts, Mm -hmm. the movie wants you to know it because the music is completely and totally a noir piece of standard music. Absolutely. And I love it. It is. It's like, tell you what it reminds me of, and this may have also come out at a similar time. You ever watch Duckman? With Jason Alex... Duckman with Jason oh, Alexander. Oh wow! Yes, it was like oh, a noir. I forgot about it. A no, yeah. An animated noir parody. An animated, Jason, yeah. Jason Alexander was a duck detective, a kind of Sam Spade style shamus. 
And this is the level we're working at here. Except Duckman is <laughs> is intentionally it's a comedy and it's ironic and again this this is not as far as I can tell. Correct. Also well, I don't think I'm skipping too far ahead, but No, we're in the I mean, who knows where we are in the movie. Well really, he's 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 running down he's essentially running down one lead, which is the original Mm-hmm. None. Yeah. Who... <laughs> who lied to us. Who lied to us, who made us think that she thought one thing, then seemed sad, which made us think yeah. perhaps she was lying, that, at least to the parents. Hmm. Why would she know what she knows? I don't know. They don't tell us how she would know. And then... Isn't it also... Is it... Am I... Was this pre the... I don't think you're allowed to tell... Adopted parents where the kid comes from. Yeah, that sounds right to me. Maybe this was before that. I mean, I think that was a re- that was a relatively recent law, but I would have thought by ninety one. Huh. I mean, maybe the Catholic Church works differently. Um, I mean, I'll we've say. all seen Philomena. We've all seen <laughs> Philomena, so maybe it's one of those situations. <laughs> but um. <laughs> If, but, if you were to ask me, if you were to ask me now, the the people writing this movie whether they looked up with the laws on adoption, I would say no. <laughs> I would bank on no. I I would bank that they didn't do in depth research on this. I would I would say that one person said, "Is that how it really works in adoptions?" And some other person said, "Who cares?" Yeah, yeah, sure. The Frank Pentangeli answer. Yeah, sure. Essentially, it's just Michael Lerner running down this one lead. He's trying to find that woman. He finds out she was a prostitute. It feels like the the two leads had a conflict, so right. they had to hand off this the part of the movie that would involve them to Michael Lerner. Yeah. <laughs> Michael Lerner had just walked off that Barton Fink's set. He had no idea the kind of cult hit it was going to be, and he needed work and needed it fast. Bay Grant had something else to do, clearly. Yeah. Uh, who knows what? <laughs> I don't know what Canadian Harry Hamlin had going on those weeks that he couldn't be filming this. I do have I do have a note here that I I think Michael Lerner's detective needs to go to jail just as much as that fire juggler does. <laughs> Absolutely, because it's him that causes forty three rattlesnake bites, including his own hand. Yeah, and again, this is this is the uh, the problem with with writing in a genre that that you know very little about. The people who wrote the original stories in the genre, some of them were private detectives, <laughs> you know? <laughs> they were close to the subject matter. You you don't feel like the, the people know this beyond the movie versions of this trope. No, yeah. I like... Uh, um, I mean, so he goes to a bar... The bar. T- mm-hmm. This is grab some nuts. So I mean, it seems to me that he has he has gotten on a plane to get there, which is why I wondered about the cat. I was like, did he? Well, are we did in, he stow that where cat? Are, where are we? Where? So the previous aren't we in North Carolina? Very. Is that where we are? I think so. Oh, that's where he is now. Yeah. But where did he come from? Oh. I mean, is okay. it, <laughs> I mean, we know it's Canada, but does the film know it's Canada? I, I think the film thinks it's New York, right? 
but they're so specific in the other films. You know when you're in Washington, you know yeah, when you're right. in London. You know, when you're even in different parts of the UK here and in on the Canadian American border between <laughs> We're in Toronto. Between Toronto and Texas. I don't know. <laughs> that weird no man's land from the handmaid's tale, that's where this is set. Yeah, right. You're right that the film um, doesn't know. Yeah. So it doesn't. Uh, yeah, I need to know where he's come from rather than where he's going. Because yeah, we assume we're in the Bible Belt mm-hmm. when we get to the snake handlers, right? Yes. But I... what, but, and also, oh, I don't even want to go down this road because I've just thought of, it. Just that hit me like a migraine. This thought. <laughs> How did the nuns get the baby from Kate Reynolds? Well, that's that's my question. Yes, I, yeah, I, I don't like, know. Oh, is that the question you've been asking all along that of I was course. dodging? So, what I'm A wondering... British television journalist. Right. I mean, so... It gives, gives, gives away her baby to nuns in a different country, which might be America, might be Canada, <laughs> or could be taking place on the no man's land between those What I want to know countries. is, did Kate Reynolds give this baby to the nuns, or was there really a woman and a man... You know, the the <laughs> the, the student... Who, who were just like... Who were just like, this baby seems... Difficult even for a baby. <laughs> I mean, how do you judge when the baby's that young? That young that right. they're trouble. Yes, they're just like they're just blobs that shit and puke and pee. Yeah, but this, this one like, also that's... this one also scratches cheeks. Uh huh. Well, not according to the dad. I mean, right. you know, <laughs> he remembers that someone had athlete's foot and <laughs> no, that was the cut. doctor. Oh, that was the doctor. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. We haven't talked about this doctor. Right. He's a yeah. fascinating character. <laughs> in a way, in a way, I think the movie, the the movie gets itself out of jail. This is our surprise making... guest villain. Well, right by making because all the way through the movie, you're like, this guy is creepy. Yeah. He there's a lot of non-consensual kissing there's going kissing on. Kissing of cheeks. There's rubbing of shoulders. There's grabbing of hands. But and and I'm talking in a doctor setting. No, but yeah, you know exactly. And At the hospital, and so he's always sort of saying, "Oh, you'll be fine." Don't. He's always being too calm when he needs to be. Right. Uh, worried and too worried when he needs to be calm. So, but you like, but you know, it's still the early '90s. This kind of masculinity is still permissible. But to be fair to the movie, he becomes, as you say, the surprise guest villain. Right. So. Everything he's do- in the background of everything he's doing, he's doing some malevolent shit. Oh, and I just remembered because that that's that's the main scene between the two noir parts, right? Because he has a first noir and then a second noir. <laughs> he, he he goes and finds out he has a he yeah. has a film noir and a neo noir. Yeah, he he's got a part where she, he finds out she was a prostitute, I think, in town. Uh-huh. Yes. Oh my god, yes. I like I that. About that. I thought I, I like weird small moments in movies and this movie has one where the pimp is telling him all the information he'd like to know about the former nun turned prostitute now weirdo snake religious woman. 
And... How did we get here from the spire, like Patrick Troughton <laughs> yeah, and the spire exactly. to this? And what I like is Michael Lerner offers him some money and the pimp's like, no, no, no. I'm happy to give you the information. And he holds it out <laughs> another second longer. And he goes, all right, I'll like, take that money. The least plausible <laughs> the least plausible plot element of a film which has nothing but implausible plot elements. It's so fantastic. Why did they add that in? <laughs> I don't care. I they don't, were like, well, I'm we can't have this pimp. happy it's there. We can't misrepresent this pimp. <laughs> So, yeah, he finds out that information and he's telling her that. And then that's when. No, I think I'm wrong because it's the, yeah. it's the shit he sends back in the mail after the second noir. Right. Mm. Well, you just he, watched it. He tells I'm, her I'm onto the snake in my notes. I'm onto the snake. Yeah, he tells right her now. that's so he tells her he's going to go back to North Carolina and find out some yeah. more shit. And, and I love this scene. I do, too unapologetically love this scene. I'm, That's my I'm, note as well. I'm I said that cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs over this scene. I said it's legitimately frightening. Yeah, and I mean, we said this in the ranking episode, but it bears repeating. This is like, this is looking at the mosaic of American faith in a way that the Omen films haven't done yet. Right. You know, there's been, you know, for, for the previous films, religious zealotry is what religion is. Mm-hmm. Whereas here, religious zealotry is seen in a much more critical and scary light, which is more accurate to reality, right. and is is a great device for a horror movie. Yeah. Um. And it, so it's a it's a it's a bit of a course correction in terms of the representation of religion in a positive way, in a more open way. Um. And you know what? The, I mean, they obviously spent all their effects money on that snake bite face. Not a terrible job. No. It's not as, you know, it's it's more underwhelming than they think. But that's sure. everything. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But it looks like you know, prosthetics. You're going to spend your effects. If but... you're going to spend your effects budget on something, why not? This is it's 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 a creepy moment. You can also tell that it this, looks horrible. The you can also tell it's a prosthetic leg. Yeah. When they're showing the snakes actually biting a leg, but I don't yeah. care because <laughs> it's a good no, looking I mean, leg. <laughs> in the context of that scene, it, 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 that that adds to the macabre, I think. Yeah, I mean, think of you know the other movies. You when you see snakes in a movie, you really hardly ever see like a snake clamp on to somebody's arm or leg, unless it's a comedy. Mm-hmm. Unless it's CGI, right. like an anaconda, unless it's nonsense. Snakes on but, a plane. Yeah, snakes on a plane. This is real. This, these are real snakes yeah. biting something. And, right. I mean, that hits me right in, in the solar in what plexus. Looks like, in what looks like a location version of where they're supposed to be. Like, yeah, like right. That little, that community hall or whatever. Passing off as a church, it right. It feels like suddenly this film has become a documentary. Yes. And <laughs> yes. it scares the fuck out of me. Totally. I have the same it's, thought, yeah. And then suddenly, Michael Michael Lerner's he's like responding to how real shit just got because he's watching this ceremony, and suddenly he's doing real acting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so clearly, this scene changed his approach <laughs> because you know he's doing his duckman thing in all the other scenes, right? Because that's what the movie's given him to do. 
This is a little, he's, yeah, there, a little he, more gritty. Well, actually, I guess it's after this this scene when he goes to her trailer, right? He's dodging pigeons. Mm-hmm. He goes back to yeah. his Duckman thing after this scene. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah. He doesn't really uh, have a and, choice, well, but... And, he, you know, there's a snowed-in hotel, which has got some quality yokel extras in it. Oh, yeah. I mean... Those these they they must be non actors because <laughs> you don't you can't cast yokels like that right. Uh, I mean that arrangement of facial and regular hair <laughs> on people's bodies. I mean that is just the real thing or nothing. You can't <laughs> you can't get that through central casting or whatever the Canadian version of that is. Agree. Um, so, but the, the you know the snow blizzard that they keep talking about. There's no evidence of it anywhere mm-hmm. uh like when he walks out on the street crucially yes while this blizzard is supposedly happening there's nothing no sands snow, the snow. <laughs> and then this another another but he sends home pleasing, all the pertinent information pleasingly bizarre moment the I'm wrecking ball sure. question mark uh the nativity oh yeah the goth the nativity and then the goth carol singers. They, they they become demons. Yeah. And I guess like I kinda like the concept of it that Or the you know, the damned. They're damned, I guess, is what it looks like. But it's like, you know, we've heard the we've heard the music for the omen as non diegetic music. Like we yeah. don't feel like it's in the film. And this how you see the people sing you see people on screen singing the theme from the omen like lip syncing it and so you're like that's kind of cool in a way right it's also very strange and to do it just once <laughs> even stranger um and it's uh this is after that i have the um well there's the sort of the the, the partial return of the papier-mâché baby Except this time it really is like just in a nativity, like they've had to scale it down so it's actual size model work. Because mm-hmm. it's just the baby Jesus in a in a in a nativity scene. But remember the papier mache baby from Yeah. Elman three. Yeah. So it's like that, but scaled down and what it actually is on screen. Right, right. <laughs> And then I then I ha- is is uh, Michael Lerner's character called Earl? Is that his name? I believe so. Yes. So he gets killed by a swinging dumbbell. Well, I mean it's a it's a wrecking ball. Wrecking ball, yes. Yeah. So and it says hard hat area, so we're in Looney Tunes territory. Yeah, we are. the The super super slow mo maybe might not help it very much but but then out of nowhere you have this one moment where you have a close-up on his eye mm. and then you can see the reflection of the wrecking ball in his eye all right. followed by fast cut hits him hard cut that. and it all looks pretty good like okay i, I mean that's quite an effective when you when you can't or don't have money to show it yeah exactly it's quite an effective solution all right all right, I'll 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 let it off the hook. Okay, thank you. <laughs> uh, I like that they talk about the fourth kingdom because mm-hmm. this is the fourth movie. I like that they're, they're adapting the Bible to their own purposes. Of course. 
Um, this, it's like well, a, and now we finally, you know, I mean, we're literally in the last throes of the movie and we finally get the answers. Yeah. Uh, that I guess to questions we never asked because the fine this movie's gonna finally correct all the that. lies that it's told us since the beginning. It's even of the worse movie. than that. We weren't even aware that we were supposed to be asking questions, right? <laughs> but apparently, we should have been questioning this from minute one. Yeah, yeah. With eight minutes to go, we find out that that this is a a Damien movie still. Mm-hmm. Um, after thinking the opposite. Why do you think they hide the ball from the audience for so long? Why do you think they feel the necessity to not let a little girl be the evil one and and completely oh, I know completely sexism. undo that inversion? Yeah, yeah, sexism. It's terrible. It is terrible. Oh, I agree. I think I think you know it's the there's definitely a pattern in this movie of of undercutting the young female. Yeah the authority of the young female character and that is the that's the cherry on the cake. I also thought it was um, weird cuz it's you know, the new baby is named Alexander. But uh the 666 moved away from the D's. The 666 is printed on his on the palm of his hand. Much easier to find than under the hair. <laughs> I did I thought the same thing. <laughs> they even tried to sort of half address this last minute reversion to the to the masculine mm-hmm. devil they said the bible didn't mean to be sexist it's like yeah but you you're being sexist yeah but, talking about the bible we're talking about your choices but then the weird part too is that she's having a another conversation with the priest right before mm. she attacks the doctor and yeah. he makes a point of saying something something to do with about gender about you know, yeah. mankind is humankind. It, it, it in- That's why he says the Bible didn't mean to be sexist. Yeah, yeah. it includes the female. Hmm. So he's saying that the Antichrist could be female, and then the movie just says, man, we're not going to do that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, I mean, in under a minute, the amount of undiscussed plot information that's disseminated in this one scene. Well, we're introduced to a new character like four minutes ago, and it's a new nurse. <laughs> yeah. But all the stuff about the twin being removed and then re-implanted. Yeah, right. We've not heard about this before. No. Um, plus, it's a, it's a complete character 360 for, for not Julianne Moore to suddenly be okay with torturing and murdering another human being Mm -hmm. she's so she's had no violent inclinations in the movies as we've seen her so far yeah i i you know i mean it's a means to an end i understand but there should be some they should establish this in some way that she at least has a at least she's on the edge of this i think the one thing they do do well is kind of string out her evolution from the ha- really? the happiest mom that ever was happy as a happy mom to mm. weird. Oh, why? No friends. Strange. What about this? What about this? And this? And she does this. And what's going on? And get away from my baby. And you know what? That's it. I'm going to shoot you both. 
I mean, it's, you know, there's a... She's never contemplated violence before. No. And then she's but... suddenly okay with torture and murder, which, for someone who is essentially non-violent, is quite a shift. Well, when you, fig- when you, when you figure out, Tom, that you're dealing with the devil... You gotta, you gotta sure. take business into into your own hands in a big way. And you know, I'm happy to see that guy get his just desserts. You right. Know? You stick as many exacto knives as you want in that guy, as far <laughs> as I'm concerned. But uh, I don't really buy it from her, even at that point. Okay. But that's not the point. The point is, we gotta literally squeeze the information out of him like a sponge. <laughs> We gotta squeeze that squeeze that we, sponge dry the, for information. The, the movie is because so we, you've got to t- dense with information at this point. Because that, there's so much to cover. Yeah, I mean it is. I mean it's like turning on a faucet. I was just gonna it? say the same thing. You were like, we literally have to turn on the knowledge faucet and put your mouth <laughs> under it and try to swallow as much information as we can. And, you know, uh, we said this before the ranking episode, but this is the plot twist that this actually is a sequel to The Omen. (laughs) (laughs) Remember? I suppose, I'm trying to think of other movies that do that. I suppose the, the, um, spoiler alert, but we spoiled it before, The the Thing, Mm -hmm. revealing that it's a prequel to The Thing. Yeah. But I can't think of any other instances. Prometheus, maybe? You went into that there? knowing it, though. But okay. Um. They they saved just enough plasticine from the snake bite face to be able to make the baby hand with the devil's mark. Yeah. Right. So well done, well done for for reserving that plasticine. Um. <laughs> and then you know I, here I'm into the the ending, uh, which is both paralleling the ending of the original film with the fu- the funeral scene okay and then but it leaves the door open for potentially two more sequels mm-hmm. um so presumably it's our in, pitches it's working in <laughs> parallel as a <laughs> don't be too sure working <laughs> working in parallel as a sequel and a reboot at the same time uh-huh which is weird because this film has a reboot. Did you notice that the pathway plays, was... Which I've seen and plays out much like this film. Yeah. Did you notice <laughs> that the pathway that uh, Dad is walking the two kids uh, down on or away from camera on uh, at the at the funeral are, is like another inverted cross? Oh, is it really? Yeah. Ah, uh, okay. Nice touch. Uh Oh, yeah, but one of the moments I was going to tell you about that could have been a really good true horror moment mm-hmm. was when mom, you know, when Karen York does have the gun on the new nurse mm-hmm. and they do what they, what I wanted her to do was just shoot her. Yeah. Cause you see that there's a really good moment, a good little piece of acting of, of her realizing for, for me to do what I have to do, I'm going to have to shoot this person in cold blood. Hmm. And I think that's what should have happened, but I don't think they allowed it because it was a TV movie. So, so new... Oh, they go pretty far with with what she does to Dr. McCann. Yeah, that's true. 
but so but but they have the dog they have the new babysitter kind of leap onto the gun and they do that thing where it's a close mm. wrestle and you just hear it go off and she's shot and she falls down the stairs. Yeah. I think it would have been a more effective scene if she just you just see her and the bullet goes through her and there's blood everywhere and Yeah, and and it it, it feels too much like the lineage of Psycho and Carrie, mm-hmm. the whole staircase and the strings. Yeah, right. Um I think that's what it sees itself as the successor to rather than the omen itself. Mm-hmm. But then I think that is Athen Gerard's sort of problem. He he thinks he's making something that is... Well, I doubt he was around but, by then. Oh, but that's true. <laughs> <laughs> you don't think he got that far into filming? Unless they started at the beginning or, you know, at the beginning started at the end. Well, I wouldn't put it past him. Um, That's all I have. Those are all my uh, film notes. Well, anything else? I mean, basically myself as well. What do you think about, you know, new evil baby, not Damien Alexander, being able to just make her turn the gun on herself? Feels a little anticlimactic to me, I must admit. Yeah, a bit anticlimactic. And as you said, it undermines the point of the film. Mm -hmm. But then. We only knew what the point. Of, this is this is the point of the film. We just we just didn't know it until eight minutes ago. Right. So can you hold it against a film for doing, for doing what the film is about? Right. The only thing is they haven't let us in on the on the secret of what it's about. Yes. We're not privy to that knowledge. <laughs> but yeah, it's just it's a sexist turn. I mean, there's no to sort of it's a a, a re it's a a reset that drags the franchise back to where it was in 76 rather than mm. where all those new interesting wrinkles of, of right. what, what the what the conflict of faith and science and spirituality is in the 90s which right. it it's so it's so funny that it it, it gets to all of that it doesn't capitalize on it but you leave this film, you know, having thought about those, about how faith has changed in American or Canadian society mm-hmm. since the the since the um, the last Omen film. But so it's rich with meaning and interesting ideas. Yeah. And I can't. That that is. I guess you know. If there's a if there's a if there's a pleasing contradiction at the heart of this movie, it is that that it's not short of interesting ideas and new takes on old material. Yeah. But the ending ultimately kind of unravels that a bit for the sake of getting us back to where we to were. To where we were. Yeah. I, yeah. I, yeah. That's true. But. But but the, but the film is the, you know there's there's a part of this film that is constantly doing that has been doing that from the beginning like going through the motions of the original Omen film sure uh like key mo I you know key iconic scenes replaying them mm-hmm. recreating famous moments compulsively so but that's in parallel with like something truly different and original that this film is doing with the material. So if it could get out of, get out of its own way, it would be a better sequel. Mm-hmm. I think. What do you think of the performance of the little girl? 
Huh. Yeah, we haven't talked about that, have we? I found her eminently reasonable. <laughs> but I think I don't know. Maybe I'm. Maybe I'm. You know, I'm just. A, I'm just a heathen because. <laughs> I feel the same with Damien, especially when he's played by Sam Neill. Right. I, 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 I'm always on, on his side. And I'm on this little girl's side as well. <laughs> especially because she, you know, the patriarchy's trying to keep her down. Right, yeah, right. And that yeah. makes me... That sort of makes me... Uh, you go, girl. Yeah, it makes me want to... I'm in her corner for all of this. And nothing that any of the adults are saying is making any sense to me and everything she says makes total sense. <laughs> so I don't really care that she's, you know, a, a Satan worshipper. She's the only one in the movie speaking sense. Put Those that... Jehovah's Witnesses were trying to burn her. We'll put that up. we'll put that in quotes. For the trial. She's not wrong. For the trial. <laughs> me and Sam Smith, Satanists. There you go. Yes, right. All right, friend. Um, you got a uh, credit check? Yes, I do. Uh, a one that is illustrative of the rest of the movie. Yes. Um, so here's a credit I didn't enjoy seeing. Oriental Hooker. Yeah. I don't think I have to explain why I didn't enjoy seeing it. Joe. Right. It feels like what they called the character on set somehow made it into the credits. They forgot to tone it down for her credit. It's like, who's that? Who? God it, damn it. Who's that? Uh, character? What's that character name? Oh, you know, it's the Oriental Hooker. Cool. It's like, don't write that down. Don't put that in the credits. <laughs> What's wrong with you? <laughs> this poor guy's first day on the job. Doesn't know that you don't round up. You don't use the horrible epitaphs thrown around. In, <laughs> th thrown around by directors on set in the credits. Uh, this this is a true testament testament to the incompetence of this movie. They can't even do a dog credit pop properly. Because what they have uh, in the dog credit is rider dog. And that's the wrong way round. <laughs> the dog is called rider in the film. I don't think the dog is called dog. But yeah, you don't know. He's that played by a dog. He could be. Maybe the dog's name is Dog. Yeah, but that regardless, that needs to be flipped because <laughs> the dog is not played by Ryder. Ryder is played by the dog. Unless, um, well, if Ryder is the character name and the dog's no, real he's name is Ryder dog, in the film, that's what I'm they saying. They call him Ryder in the film. Oh, and it's Ryder. It's Ryder Dog. You're right. Okay. Yeah. Should be dog writer. I'm not saying that that was an out. That could have been an outtake that was left in <laughs> just as easily. And the dog really is called Ryder. <laughs> Clarify. Um... <laughs> uh... Yeah. I mean, the, some of the clan music is featured pro prominently in the credits. Yeah. So, you know. I can't believe that Gerard is not somehow responsible for that. Oh, we forgot to mention, by the way, that Michael Lerner employs some clowns for subterfuge. Right at the yes <laughs> at the at the nunnery. Exactly. It's amazing. <laughs> I love that the and clown that... looks at him through the window and gives him a little wink and a thumbs up, and 
you know, we'll keep the time going. He gives them a thumbs up. Thanks, clowns. And you know how that discussion went down on the set, right? <laughs> Everyone was, they were trying to figure out, it was like, we need something to distract the nuns so he can get the information he needs. Listen, and I ben know. And Gerard is walk, walking <laughs> by with a bagel in his hand. Yeah. How about these clowns that I hired? See, I think it's they're the on other... re- they're on a retainer, you know. I think it's the other way. I think he'd already been fired or quit or left, and somebody was like, "Listen, you're gonna call <laughs> me crazy. I know that Gerard is long gone, but we do still have his clowns on budget. Yeah. Like we can That's bring right, clowns yeah. back. We we've already paid them. Yeah." <laughs> I love the idea of like of like just like the the new director having to point over to the corner where there's just like a guy on a tricycle <laughs> and someone else like throwing a bucket of a, a like a bucket of uh, what it was a tinsel <laughs> glitter <sighs> and it's like yeah it's like there is the solution to our problems everyone yeah great at uh, no final scare sting this time no yeah. Um, in fact, there's no like ominous music at all in these credits. <laughs> it ends like a day daytime soap opera. Mm-hmm. The music sounds like it's the outro for a daytime soap opera, yeah. which I guess it it is closer to in essence than a film. <laughs> Smile when you say that, asshole. What? What do you mean? I am smiling. <laughs> It's a perfectly lovely film. I don't know about that. I don't think anyone thinks it's a perfectly lovely film. Of nonsense. Yeah, it is. It's. Uh, I mean, I wonder... So here's another thought, and I, I do want to throw this in. Mm-hmm. Is, is the clown shit supposed to be Athen and Gerard emulating Fellini? Because he's the only other director I can think of who has as many clowns in his films as this signature. Yeah, he's just like like he thinks this is the way to elevate this to the level of art cinema by having clowns kind of in the background of every shot. It's it's like I tell you what it's like. It's like you ever seen Honeymoon in Vegas? Mm -hmm. Uh, Like at the background of every scene, there's an Elvis impersonator of some kind. That's what it's like with clowns in this film. <laughs> There's a clown around every corner. <laughs> you can't get rid of them. Mm. All right, is that it? That's it for the credit check, yeah. Fantastic. Well, ladies and gentlemen. I didn't mention Canadian casting because by this point. Oh, we know. <laughs> that was where I first found out this was Canadian, <laughs> even though I knew in my heart that it was. I like your description. I knew it was a Canadian film based on the dad's haircut. <laughs> and so for my boss at work is Canadian and uh he'd put a holiday on the on the work calendar that didn't exist. <laughs> like a public holiday that didn't exist. So we were speculating whether this was some traditional Canadian holiday that nobody else celebrated. Is that a free day? Just, just, yes, just take your free day off, man. No, no, I mean, it, 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 we didn't get it. Oh, fuck. It, by that point, it had been nixed, so we could make fun of him. <laughs> and uh, he replied by saying, Yeah, it's our annual Oot and a Boot Day. <laughs> Ha, ha, ha.
Oh, that's the day we all get together and make Omen 4s. <laughs> that would be hilarious if it just if it said like uh, public holiday the awakening. <laughs> all right. Ladies and gentlemen, at least one of us is thoroughly delighted by this film. And I'm delighted to be talking about it, yeah, and I'm the delighted other one, by I aspects think, of the film. Likes plenty of this movie. You're going to yeah. have to tell us, how alone are we? So find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Send us an email. Well, judging by that guy you quoted. <laughs> Pretty a, alone. Send us an email. Solitary. To everythingsequel at gmail.com. For Tom Stewart of Lonesome Whistle Productions, Michael Schatz here of the How Dare You Awards. When you hear us next, we're going to try to make this series live on. We're pitching sequels. Say goodbye, Tom. Drop your drawers for Capitol Hill. (laughs) Like any good Canadian citizen. With a line like that, you, you, you you don't really need the nudity to back it up. Right. Except tits. <laughs> yeah, which we get. Kind of, sort of. Yeah. Kind of, sort of. Yeah. TV tits. <laughs> TV tits. Canadian made for TV tits. <laughs> Don't Google that. <laughs> All right, everyone. Until then. 